Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Many of y'all know that I'm really passionate about non-toxic products, and I'm super mindful of the products that we bring into our home. I actually am not a big makeup wearer, and part of that is because I've had a really hard time finding non-toxic makeup products that actually work and that I actually like until I found Araza Beauty. Araza Beauty is an amazing organic natural paleo makeup makeup company. A lot of their um, products are made from real food ingredients, and you can pronounce most of the ingredients. I love their all-in-one coconut cream foundation. It offers a lot of coverage, actually more coverage than I'm typically used to um, because I don't really like the way makeup feels on my face, but it's so comfortable. I don't feel it on my face, and it looks amazing. I also love their mango cream color pot for just a little bit of color on my cheeks. Everything is so creamy and makes your skin look so dewy and healthy. You can save 15% off your first order when you use the code TAYLOR. So go to arazabeauty.com, that's A-R-A-Z-A beauty.com, and use the code TAYLOR to save 15% on your first order. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I have an awesome guest today. Well, all of the guests that I have on are awesome. Um, But truly, this episode I think is so fascinating. Um, I learned so much, and I think you're going to learn so much as well. I have Erica Orozco-Cruz joining me today. Erica is an early childhood development expert and parent coach who helps children, families, and teachers thrive and grow together on the foundation of mutual respect. She is certified through RIE, Resources for Infant Educators, and the state of California, and is also trained in the Waldorf methods. Erica's passion for supporting families stems from her own experience as a mother of four boys, ranging in ages from two years old to 25 years old, and as a daughter who set out to parent in a different way than she was as a child. Um, In this episode, we are talking about Rye. Erica gives us some insight about what Rye actually is. Um, We talk about how to develop mutually respectful relationships with our children and why that matters. And then Erica also gives us some tips for what to consider, what questions to ask when we are looking for some sort of childcare, nursery school, or daycare daycare program for our children. So we cover a ton of information in a short amount of time. Um, so without further ado, let's dive right in. Hi, Erica. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have you here today. Oh, I'm happy to be here as well. Erica, I would love if you could just kind of introduce yourself to us, tell us who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about. Oh, definitely. Um, so I work with young children. Uh, I have a nursery school program that serves families with six-month-olds to six-year-olds, and it's a multi-age out, outdoor program. And I'm also a mother of four, 
and I have children that age and range from 25 years old to two years old. And I also have two grandchildren that are three and 10 months. And I am surrounded with babies just in life. And, uh, and it's really something that I'm passionate about the work that I do. I love that. Can you tell me a little bit more about, um, so I don't hear the term nursery school a lot. Can you tell me, is there a specific difference between a nursery school and like a daycare type setting? Yes. So for me, um, daycare has such a bad connotation to it. You know, oh, we just leave our kids there. You know, there's not a lot of learning that's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's been several scandals, you know, in the past of different things. So I definitely don't associate with that connotation of that. And that's right. not all daycares, you know, there's really wonderful daycares and we are licensed as a daycare, but we are a nursery school program. Um, I do want to, you know, let parents know that it is a school. We are learning, you know, children learn through play, children through learn through social interaction, children learn about their bodies and about themselves as they're learning to use the potty, as they're feeding themselves. So it's an opportunity um, that's really explores uh, nursery school, meaning that we serve the young infants as well as through the preschool age and kindergarten. I love that. That sounds amazing. And so you have a background in Rye, is that right? Yes. Um, can you, for those that don't know, can you just talk a little bit more about what Rye is and like what your philosophy is? Oh, definitely. Um, so resources for infant educators goes by the acronym Rye, often in the early childhood world. And it's was focused, um, Magda Gerber, who was one of the founders, really focused on the zero to two years. And so it was an opportunity to, for parents to come and learn from Magda Gerber. Um, and what we practiced was um, we would bring our children to the classes and we would observe our children and she would point out different points in, in their development or what's happening during their play. But a lot of time was us adults uh, facilitator, parents being quiet and really just watching our children. And uh, Magda Gerber called it, you know, seeing with new eyes. And so it was like everything that you know about your child, taking that out the top of your head if you could, and, you know, closing the top of your head again and, and just watching because we get so, um, like, I know my child, like, I know what they like, or I know, you know, um, what they're going to go for, or my child is a biter or this and that. And we stop seeing the actual child and the development that's happening. And there's an ebb and flow with development. There might be two steps forward and one step back. And so if we don't observe, we're actually not seeing exactly where they're at. And so we might be doing too much you know, for them or too little to support their growth. And so really stepping back and seeing with new eyes gives us an opportunity to relearn our child every day the time to do it, you know, or every week. Yeah. I love that. I don't, I don't, um, I don't label like my parenting style. And I think I, I learn from all different like philosophies. And I, I try to, I try to be like respectful, respectful parenting, which can mean so many things, but I do know a little bit about Rye. I'm not like an expert in that area, but as you were talking, you know, I was thinking that as parents, I think it's just so common to have so many judgments, um, on our kids, not necessarily we're judging them, but in the way that in the, I guess the way that we traditionally think of like judging, like being judgmental towards people, but we're either judging who they are, like you said, or what they like or what they should be doing. I think that's the other piece is we're always comparing our children to other children and wondering why they haven't done this specific milestone yet. Whereas this child has, or, um, worried about maybe they're behind and, 
one of the things that I, one of the areas that I struggle with this and I find myself always catching myself is with my son specifically, he's two, he just turned two. So he's at that stage where he's climbing everything. And I'm a big fan as an occupational therapist, I'm a big fan of risk-taking, but as a mom, I'm also like, wait, no, be careful. And so when we're at the playground or, you know, he's the other day we were walking at, um, we were at our favorite little farm and there's like these, these, um, stones stacked high and he decided to get up on the stones and walk along the edge of the stones and it's kind of like bumpy and if he trips he would fall and hurt himself and I wanted to be like be careful and like hold his hand but I was like no I need to just stand here I'm here if he needs me but he can do this and he can do it and he did do it Um, and I think that it's really interesting when especially with things like risk taking and climbing and um, these big gross motor movements that maybe we don't always have we kind of underestimate our children's ability when we really just take a step back and we let them climb the slide or climb the big wall that maybe we feel like isn't very safe for them to climb. They end up surprising us and they often can do it and they can do it even in a way that's pretty safe for their bodies. Yes. And it was such a gift that you gave your son that opportunity because so many parents might go, oh, you're too small for that, or you might fall. So we're giving them this information about their body but they're in their body their body's giving them information of like okay you know this might be okay for me or I'm going to try this um and you really took that step back yeah and I think what's so important for parents to understand is that they can't develop that awareness of their body unless they're using those skills and practicing those things. And sometimes that means they realize I can't actually do this. My body isn't safe right now. And I think there's such a balance of we can be there for them to support them and to keep them safe in ways that we can. And of course, there are some things that we are just not going to have to not allow because it is really not safe. Um, But for the most part, like they can still do that exploration in a safe environment and learn those important skills. Oh, I can't hear you. There, wait, can, say something. Um, I was going to say, I, okay. could, I could see what happens when, that, when we don't allow those skills. So we either have children that, you know, don't have that body awareness and they're taking risks all the time. They're not even paying attention to what they're doing as they're climbing. Um, or we have the child who won't even attempt to climb because they been told it's not safe or they're not big mm-hmm. enough or all of that. So, you know, there is that balance of finding that, you know, that gateway for them to really explore safely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you talk about mutually, this idea of mutually respectful relationships. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by mutually respectful relationships and how, um, how we can start that creating a pathway for mutually respective, respectful relationships from infancy? Yes. Um, and this is, again, um, based on the Rye work, uh, mutual respectful relationship of, you know, again, this is their, their body, their vessel that they are going to be carrying through their lifetime. And so often um, adults, parents, caregivers don't give that attention to them of that respect if that's their body. And so I wouldn't go up to you and grab a tissue and wipe your nose, but how often do we do that with children? And so, mm-hmm. you know, when we see a child here, you know, and we call it a juicy nose, um, we, we talk to them about it. We say, I see you have a juicy nose. If they're a young infant, I'm going to go get a tissue and I'll be right back. So we're giving them information, letting them know. Um, if it's an older child, you may go get a tissue from the tissue box 
and they'll toddle over there and grab a tissue and wipe their nose as best they can. Um, so the mutual respect is, you know, letting them know that what we're going to do to their body before it happens, um, letting them know sports casting of, you know, where the boundaries might be. You know, I see that you're reaching for mama's keys. I'm not offering that right now. I'm going to put my hand there so that you can't grab them. Um, so it's this um, awareness of their body, but also of the boundaries and this balances back and forth. You know, um, we know moms that might be new moms or moms with several kids and they're just going from one thing to the next and they really aren't having some time for themselves. And I find with this mutual respectful relationship that you can build in infancy that it really allows you to let your child know, I'm going to go to the bathroom now and when I'm done, I'll be back, you know, in your play space. And a young infant, you know, who, you know, is not yet mobile might look and at first, in, you know, in the very first weeks, months, it might be like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> but if you continuously, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Oh, is that what she means when she disappears for a while and then returns? And so it's this mutual respectful relationship in communication, but also in the touch. You know, you're not, um, when you're picking them up, you're letting them know that you're picking them up before you pick them up. I'm going to pick you up now. We're going to go to your crib. Then you pause. And then you pick up the infant and carry the baby to the crib. And so it's really this awareness that we don't usually have um, with young children. Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about how doing that, this idea of sports casting, which I love, um, really also just requires us as adults, as parents, as caregivers to slow down a little bit and be more intentional with what we're doing throughout the day, which I think is so important, especially in right now in this, you know, modern, um, day, like we're just so busy. So, so many of us are so busy and with all of the technology and social media and work and whatever it is that we have, we're just often rushing. And I think it's really hard for people to slow down. And so I love that because being intentional in the way that you're communicating with your child, I think it automatically causes you to like take a pause and take a deep breath. And I know like thinking about that, I'm, I'm not good at the sports casting. Like I have to really pause and think about it. And it takes a lot of effort for me because it's not a habit. Um, but that work to get to that, to making that habit, that intention behind it is also really good for adults. Definitely. I, I, when I think of um, adults that are really great at this, I think of paramedics, like paramedics, they arrive on the scene, they have this calmness about them, you know, I'm going to check you out right now. Do you know what happened? You know, they're, they're dialoguing, whether it be a child or an adult, um, and they're letting them know what's going to happen. Okay, I'm going to take your blood pressure now. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just like this clear, but they have this calmness and groundedness of like, okay, I'm here to help. Yeah. Why do you think this is important, this, this mutually respectful relationship? Like, what are some of the benefits of it besides the obvious, the respect piece? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. When we give this to our child, our child is modeled, you know, that space and that time that when we go to the bathroom, they're not like pounding on the door or opening the door to join us. They're actually really giving us that space. And we're giving them information about their body, you know, um, so if we see a young child who might be already rubbing their eyes, oh, I see your big yawn. Oh, I see you're rubbing your eyes. I'm thinking it's time um, for you to take a nap might be earlier than usual, but you're giving them cues. So then they start to see cues of like, you know, 
you might be, you know, trying to pick up, you know, too many books and bring them back to the bookshelf. And they instinctively want to come and help you because they, their observation skills have been modeled off of your observation skills of sharing with them. So often in the program, we have, you know, five, five-year-olds who are, you know, going over to the young infants and saying, oh, would you like me to bring you some toys? And they're mm-hmm. pausing and they're bring, they go and then they bring, come back with the toy. Or they're also, you know, modeling boundaries, you know, of, ouch, that was too rough. I'm going to come closer to something that the adults do. But it starts to, to be picked up by the children because that's what's modeled. So this mutual respectful relationship doesn't just stay centered with uh, the children and the adult, but then it starts to blossom into the community. Um, we had, uh, my boys played football, my older boys played football, and um, once in a while, not often even, once in a while their friends would come over after a football practice and come to our house and you know join us for dinner and hang out for a little bit. And so my middle, one of my middle sons was uh, nine at the time. And so um, one of his friends came over a few times, I would say less than three, but the mom and I really bonded and we connected and um, exchanged phone numbers, worked out together, things like that. Well, one day she calls me and she says, "Um, Erica, I have to share this with you. Um, She said that she was really irate with her nine-year-old son. He had brought home grades that she was not happy with and she was really upset. She was, you know, getting, you know, upset with him and, and was not happy and expressing that. And he said, mom, I don't like the way you're talking to me. I'd like you to say it in a different way. And he got that from being at our house, like less than three times. So the boys were, you know, if they were talking roughly, like, you know, oh, that's not, you know, that's not smart. You're being dumb right now. That wasn't allowed in our house. We, we, I, I would say, ouch, that was rough. You can say it in a different way. Oh, you weren't using your head when you, you know, well, you can say it in a kinder way. Oh, well, next time you could do this. Mm-hmm. And so just watching the tone and, and I said, you know, she, she's laughing at, she's over the phone laughing. She's all, I'm here trying to be upset with him. And he's telling me, you know, <laughs> I don't like the way you're talking to me. I thought he was kidding. Like I had to start laughing, like, but he was really, you know, setting this clear boundary of mom, you can say it in a different way. And so. That. Yeah, so it's amazing what what little pieces can be, you know, what feels heart-centered to the children and that they're able to bring into different places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have actually had that experience with my daughter who is five and multiple times she has said, I've said something to her, I've lost my patience, um, whatever it is, yelled at her and she will tell me, um, mom, I didn't like, I didn't like when you said that to me, it hurt my feelings. And my first instinct when I'm mad is to be like, you can't talk to me that way. But then I take a breath and I'm like, no, this is actually exactly what I want to teach her. This is exactly what I want her, how I want her to communicate with people, other people in her life too, that say something that she doesn't like or do something to hurt her. And that's how I'm speaking to her. So of course, well, that's how I'm trying to speak to her. Um, so she does pick up some good things for me and also some not so good things for me. Um, but anyways, I think it's just really interesting. That was a really, um, and you also brought up such a good point that, you know, there are still boundaries. We, we still set boundaries as part of a respectful relationship, setting boundaries, and especially for children. Um, and I think there is a misconception with people who don't understand really any form of like more respectful parenting. So whether it be Rye or just some other, you know, we don't all 
practice like rye specifically, but we want to show more respect to our child and treat them like like humans. Um, there's a lot of misconception that it involves just letting your child do whatever they want to, and they kind of control everything and more like more permissive parenting, but really respectful parenting, truly respectful parenting can't be permissive because permissive parenting isn't respectful. Um, and so I think that's so important. Like people just, a lot of people don't understand that. And, um, one of the things I I do want to ask you about, because I think this is a question that I've had before, but also I've heard other people ask specifically about rye. Like when we are respecting children's bodies and we're not like being the ones to come up and wipe their nose or their face, like you mentioned, and we're offering them the chance to do it or something of that nature. What happens when you have the child who doesn't want to wipe their nose or who doesn't want to get a diaper change? I mean, I know like in the case of a diaper change, like we can't just let our kids run around with poopy diapers. So what do you do in those moments where the child does not want to be involved in whatever needs to happen for their hygiene? Yes, definitely. Um, I have a two-year-old, so I'm very familiar with that. (laughs) Um, And also, you know, we just went through a cold season here at the nursery school. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the juicy noses have to be wiped. The hands need to be washed, all of that. Um, And so, you know, we start with the observation of, you know, I see that your nose is juicy. Um, And then it's, you may go get a tissue for the child who's able to go do that. Um, they don't stop playing. They're still playing. They're not wanting to take a break. They even might be getting their arm ready to do a a nose wipe across their face. And it's like, you know, um, I see you're not going to go get a tissue. I can walk you over to the tissue box. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there might be, if they've had, you know, parents wiping at their noses, they might be resistant to like, oh no, not again. Um, And just reminding them, your nose is juicy. I don't want it going in your mouth. So we're going to go get a tissue. Um, and so we walk the child over or I may pick you up and we're going to, I'm going to carry you over to the tissue box. Um, okay. I'm going to wipe your nose. Now they might like turn their head. I'm going to wait. I need to wipe your nose before you go back to play. And honestly, they're so present in their body. They want to get back to the play. So they're not going to want to struggle with you. If they do, it might be okay. I'm going to wipe your nose. Oh, I got to do it again. You're twisting your head. I'm going to do it again. Oh, looks like you might need another tissue. Let me get another one. And honestly, again, they're just wanting to get back to what they are. So they're like, okay, here it comes. But also we are so consistent with it. Like we talk about it, we see it. And the consistency actually is what replaces the discipline. Oh, she does mean it. If I don't go Mm -hmm. get a tissue, she is going to take me over to that box. If I don't get my nose wiped right there, then she's going to, you know, wipe my nose. And if it doesn't happen the first time, okay, she's going to do it again. And we're so repetitive and so consistent. They're like, all right, surrender. I will, <laughs> I will go and do it so that I can get back to play as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, children just want to be in that joyful presence. They just want to be, you know, centered in that play. And so the less interruptions that they have, whether it be a diaper change or a nose wipe, they want to get back to that. So they're going to cooperate the more consistent you are. If you are not consistent, like, you know, you say, oh, we're going to go change your diaper. And then it doesn't happen. You get busy with, oh, loading the car or something. Oh, I forgot. We got to change your diaper. Um, But then, you know, there's resistance. So you're like, okay, I'm going to give them a couple more minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, we're going to change your diaper. Well, they kind of don't believe you. You haven't kept your word. Um, And so that's when you get more resistance. 
Um, and they've learned that if they give you resistance, it won't happen. Exactly. So and you're just stop. increasing the likelihood of the behavior to happen next time. Yes. So for me, it's really about consistency. You know, you draw the line in the sand. Okay. <laughs> it's time to change your diaper. They're running in the opposite direction. Okay. I'm going to get the diaper and the wipes out. And then I need you to come to the diaper changing table. I just recorded a video actually of my two-year-old and I'm going to upload it to YouTube because, you know, of this. Uh, so I tell him it's time to get a diaper change and you can hear him verbally say no. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, okay, I'm going to get the wipes and the diaper ready. Um, so I get it ready <clears throat> and he is walking around the other side of the bed from where I'm at. And I said, okay, um, it's time. You may walk over here or I may come and get you. Um, and he says, no. And I said, okay, I'm going to come. Uh, so I stand up and I'm walking over towards him. And then he's like, okay, you know, coming. <laughs> and he comes back to the diaper changing mat where we do diaper changes. And he has like three cars in his hands. And I said, okay, you know, you need to put the cars down because I'm going to change your diaper. And so I'm wanting to to hold them and put them down. And he's like, I do it. Um, and he puts them on the diaper changing mat, which is, you know, um, little shape. And he, his head, then he rolls into it and his head's like this, smooshed <laughs> up against the cars. And I said, um, I said, there's not a lot of room when you put cars on the diaper changing mat. And so he scoots his body down a little bit, but he fully participates and lets me, you know, change his poop and you know we clean it all up and uh participate in that way and had i not been consistent in the past then that game would have gone on much longer there would have been more protests there would have been more running away um, but because he knows oh when mama says it's time it's time uh, and and we see that with different parents so even moms and dads um someone who's more consistent you know there's less pushback and with and they, and children know just who they can push, you know, a little bit further. Yeah. As you're spe speaking, we kind of covered this already, but I'm still just thinking about like, I'm thinking about myself and doing this with my own children. And it's something I really struggle with. And, um, I think that one of the hard parts about this for a lot of us who, especially those of us who are raised in, you know, in households that practice a little bit more mainstream um, parenting with a lot of punitive discipline and timeouts and spankings and yelling and things like that, it's it can be very, very hard to keep your calm. And that's one of the things I struggle with. Like I say a lot of the things that you're saying right now, but I'm not always calm when I'm saying it. Like I start to get frustrated and I start to maybe get a little bit of a tone or my face, you know, I start to get that kind of mad face with my eyebrows, very like harsh looking. Um, and I know that I'm very aware of it because my daughter, my five-year-old daughter does the same things, you know, her face, she has the meanest looking face when she's mad. And I'm like, why soften your face, soften your eyebrows. But it's actually the message that I need. And I do tell myself that all the time, soften, 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 um, because I just have a tendency to be so harsh, both in my tone and in my facial expressions. Um, Anyways, I just, I'm just noticing that as you're talking, because it, I think that is maybe one of the biggest challenges for some parents is just kind of identifying their own triggers and their own tendencies towards a certain reaction type, um, especially when they were raised with it. What other challenges do you see a lot that parents face with this, this method of parenting? I, I want to go back just yeah. to being, being in the moment real quick. So you feel all your 
face squished. <laughs> yeah. your, your jaw is tight and your shoulders are tight too. I, if you're in the moment and you can sense all of that, I would get down at their, at your child's level. So, you know, get on one knee, get at your knees. If you're able to, you know, squat down, if you're, you know, not available to be on your knees, um, you can't hold all that in your jaw and in your shoulders as much as when you're at their level. It kind of mm -hmm. just settles your body down. Um, but yes, you know, knowing your triggers is the best way uh, to recognize that, not in the moment. Right. <laughs> this is later. You know, you had your blowout or whatever it is. Um, I had a son who um, at nine months old was, you know, feeding himself. Um, and then um, development, you know, took a step back and didn't want to feed himself and wanted to be fed. And I was, I was, I was not happy. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I was being able to eat and now, now I'm not. And, um, but I was like, this is normal. Why, what, why am I, you know, upset with this? Or why am I disappointed that he's now wanting to be fed again? And it was like, oh, I'm not feeding myself. I'm so hungry that I was like enjoying the moment that he could feed himself so that I can eat, you know, and enjoy mm -hmm. myself as well. Okay. I need to have prepared, you know, is it a protein bar? Is it, you know, something that I can nourish myself enough where if he needs my support in feeding him again, then I am not like, oh man, <laughs> you know, yeah. I wanted to eat. So knowing those kind of triggers are important. Also, um, again, uh, it was, um, my oldest son was at the time and was potty learning and through the night and so there was times that there would be an accident but I also had you know a three-month-old baby and I was and you know everybody would they shared a room so then everybody was awake and it was not happy times and I was like this is normal this is gonna happen why am I so you know um, triggered by this oh everybody's awake you know we're not getting back to eat sleep really easily so then it was like okay how can we get to sleep really easily how do I not have to turn on the lights? You know, how can we do this more easily? Okay, we're gonna have like a protector on the bed, a sheet, another protector, another sheet. So if there's an accident, we can just roll that one up without having, you know, to up upheaval everybody in mm -hmm. the room. <laughs> so oh, yeah. remember seeing what the triggers are so then you can work on that um, on your own because that's our work, like you said. Right. Right. I always say the hardest part of parenthood is actually just improving yourself as a parent and learn also learning all of the like negative things about you and that you do because <laughs> our kids really, really show us that. I think um, <laughs> if you think you're perfect going into parenthood, you will have a rude awakening when you have a toddler. <laughs> totally. They shine a spotlight on that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so like you were saying, what are other challenges? Um, another example, um, we, we were living in a home um, uh, where the, the power box, I'm not even I'm blanking on the name right now, um, was inside the house and the Department of Water and Power were coming out to read the meter, which happens, you know, about monthly here in Los Angeles, um, and came through the back gate, did not knock at the front door, came through the back door. Um, oh my I, yes, I had my, I had my children, but I also had other people's children with me and, um, was starting to open the back door, got it, you know, a good amount open where I could see him. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, that is not okay. You, mm -hmm. you did not knock at the door. You did not ask permission to enter the yard. You know, he said, oh, I'm just here to read the meter. I'm like, great. You need to ask permission. <laughs> uh, and I was 
irate with him. I said, read the meter and then leave. So read the meter and left. And um, I turned around to my audience, you know, all the children were there. And my five-year-old was like, mom, you did not speak kindly to that man, <laughs> you know, because he knows the difference. And I mm -hmm. said, yes, he did something that I was really not okay with. And I was really rough with my words with him to let him know that. Um, and so, you know, they pick up on that awareness. And so, you know, just like your daughter was sharing with you, um, you know, I don't like when you yell at me or the words that she used, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges. They're, they're used to this respectful, mutual respectful relationship. And so when there is conflict, it might not always look the way that, you know, they want it to, but they are definitely aware enough to share that with you, which for me, I think is a blessing. Mm -hmm. um, they're starting to learn their boundaries and, and able to share them with you, somebody that they love so that they can then later practice them in school, um, you know, at sports events and things like that in the future. Yeah, that's great. And I think it it's just so important to remember that we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to act in ways that do not always align with our values. Um, but what's important is how we repair and how we address the situation afterwards. And so um, I think that's a huge piece. I think, you know, it's so, I mean, if you go into this thinking that you're, or with the expectation that you're just going to get it right all the time and you're not you know, especially as like a yeller, I'm never going to yell, like starting right now, I am never going to yell. I mean, I'm going to just be so feel so defeated and so disappointed in myself because inevitably I will yell because it's something that I'm working on. Um, but if you go in just making an effort to like, do, do the best you can in each situation, reassess after the situation happens, see what you can do to improve or to prevent something from happening again. And then repairing to, with your child, apologizing if you've done something to them. Um, I think that's so huge. And it also teaches our children that they don't have to be perfect and how to mend the situation after it happens. 100%, 100%. Um, okay. So if there are parents listening who are, you know, very interested in this, in this method of parenting and creating a mutually respectful relationship with their child, but maybe they haven't really been doing that thus far and they don't have an infant anymore, especially, um, because I know you said like, it's obviously ideal to start as early as you can, but what if we haven't, what are some things that we can do starting right now to grow that mutually respectful relationship? Definitely. There's never a cap in age of like, oh, you missed the boat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's definitely time uh, to build that. Um, I was a foster mom as well in the past. And so it's, you know, you are, you know, given a child. Uh, we had older boys um, in their um, preteen ages and who've had a very different experience. And, you know, they come into your home and you're building, you're building your foundation with them. You're building trust. Um, with them, you're building, you know, what what's okay, what's not okay as far as boundaries. And so at any age, it starts with the mutual respect of the communication. So, you know, daddy and I have been thinking about our bedtime routine <clears throat> and uh, it's not working for us. <laughs> We're going to make some changes. So you're letting them know what ha what's going to happen, you know, before mm -hmm. it happens. Um, whether you're changing schools or moving or things like that, these are things that you can bring to them, you know, at an older age of mutual respect of like, these changes are going to be happening. This is what it's going to look like as much as, you know, sharing with them, you know, what it's going to look like and preparing them. Um, and, and then letting them know, you know, that 
you're working on yourself, if that's something that you're talking about that, you know, you're working on getting things together before you move or, you know, meeting the teachers before they start the new school. So lots of communication um, and then uh, respecting their boundaries also. So, you know, um, we have children uh, that come into our home and it's really of, you know, building that trust. And so, you know, this is going to be your room. You know, we rotate on who's setting the table, um, letting them know again what's going to happen, and and then being able to listen to them. Oh, you know, I did this at uh, at school today. Okay, you know, um, let's say they bring home, you know, the grades that are not the grades that you would like them to have, um, and so rather than trying to um, challenge them, that ask them like, oh, do you know why you got these grades? Yeah, I know why I got these grades. Okay, do you know what you need to do to bring the grades up? Yes, I do. And if they said, no, I don't. Okay, uh, do you do you want to talk to your teacher about it? Or do you want me to come with you and talk to your teacher about it? Okay, I'll talk to my teacher about it. And so it's like giving them enough help to get them through, but not doing it for them. So I don't want to, you know, okay, what do we got to do to get your grades up? Okay, let's get that done that's really not helping them in the long run. We really want to empower them and to be able to see that what their choices are really affect them. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that so much. Um, okay, I wanna move, change gears just a little bit. We don't have very much time left, but I was hoping that you could maybe give us some insight and some some tips um, if for parents that are wanting or needing to send their child to some sort of childcare program, um, thinking maybe younger children, like not quite school-aged children, um, so like a daycare or a nursery school or some other type of childcare program, what are the things that you would recommend um, taking into consideration when selecting a child care program? What kinds of questions maybe should parents be asking? I get questions about this all the time. So I would really love to hear your insight. You're probably like the best person to ask about this. Yes, definitely. I, I get this question a lot too. So for me, it's really, um, our social culture really has kids indoors a lot, you know, inside cars and in, indoor play and things like that. I really want to know how much time do the children have outside? you know, as much outside time for the, especially the youngest, but even all the way through um, the early years is really having a lot of outside time. So it's not important to me that uh, young children are inside at a table, at a desk, coloring. It's really more important for me that for them to be outside. Can they color outside? You know, do they have activities that are happening outdoors? Um, also for me, for the young years, um, free play is really important. Again, it's not needing to be directed, you know, is um, art activity optional or do they have to go sit down at it? Um, is the circle time optional or do they have to participate? For me, it's really, you know, children being invited to and if it feels good in their body, they're gonna join you. They're gonna be like magnets to it. But if they're not wanting to, is it okay if they just watch? Is it okay if they, you know, dig all day instead of sitting down to color? Um, what are your expectations? Um, also, I want to know like how they're handi handling conflict resolution. So, you know, if the child doesn't want to go wipe their nose, if the child doesn't want to put the jacket on in the cold mornings, if the child, um, if two children are squabbling over a toy, how do you handle that? What does that look like? Um, can you give me a description? Um, also, I want to see that, that the teachers are moving. You know, I don't want them, you know, 
sitting down for long periods of time sedentary. Um, I do want to see them, you know, actively, you know, maybe modeling gardening or, you know, doing the circle time activity if the children want to participate. Um, because I want to know that if my children need support on the climbing structure or between another child and not get hit, I want to know that they're able to jump to their feet quickly and be there as needed. Mm, those are great. Those are great questions and considerations. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm sorry, I have something in my throat. <clears> throat> um, okay. Erica, thank you so much for joining us. I learned so, so much from you. I would love if you could tell us where we can find you if we want to learn more from you. Definitely. Um, we're on Instagram at Homeschool Garden, H-O-M-E-S-C-H-O-O-L-G-A-R-D-E-N. And then our website is homeschoolgardensite.com. And you're located in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. So if there's any people listening from Los Angeles, you can actually, if you would like to put your children in Erica's amazing homeschool garden. Um, but she also shared lots of great information. If you are not local to Los Angeles to maybe find a program, um, that is ideal. And then you are going to offer your latest parent workshop recording for us, for listeners, right? Yes. So for those people in Los Angeles or not in Los Angeles, um, we have online classes um, that meet weekly. Uh, so we can answer questions, help support and observation skills, you know, things that come up. And we have a monthly workshop um, where you can just drop in uh, once a month for Saturday of the month. And our last workshop was the potential of play and all the different ways children can learn through play. So that's what I'd like to give to your, your listeners. Amazing. Thank you. So I will post the link to that workshop in the show notes in the description. Um, well, thank you so much again for joining us today, Erica. It was amazing. And I learned so much from you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.